Premier League is back, so let's go straight to our panel for the Premier League preview show. So Sam, today's your first time on the podcast for the football preview. We can find you on Twitter at LFCGAWA. Sam, you are a Liverpool fan. Give me a favourite memory of yours from Liverpool in the Premier League. Uh, Yep. Thanks very much for that, Potsy. I was keeping that Twitter handle quiet because I like to slobber the Arsenal fans with it, but now everyone knows that's me. So, appreciate that. Um, my uh, my favourite Liverpool Premier League moment, again, there's a running theme here, was the 5-1 hammering of Arsenal at Anfield. Purely as it was for the first 22 minutes, probably the best football I think I've seen. Just aggressive, high-pressing football, which at the time looked like a good Liverpool team, but in hindsight it was actually quite poor. So, thoroughly enjoyed that one. Um, just going back, that was that was that was that under Rodgers on the season he came second, or was that Klopp's first season? I can't remember actually. That was that was Brendan Rodgers. It was billed as a as a make or break game, and it was over after about five minutes. Okay, okay. Abraham, um, you're obviously a Premier League fan. You don't really have any ties to any particular team. Um, yeah. We can find you on Instagram at ebibm ebibm. Give me a, a favourite Premier League moment or a moment in the Premier League that sticks out for you. Yeah, so I mean, um, I I um, I have my favourite team from back home. Um, I'm from Iran, so got my favourite club from back home. But I always watched Premier League um, and the Italian League mostly. Growing up, I'm going to go back to my childhood memories. So the 1999, I think, the Manchester United team that had York and Cole, Giggsy, Scholes, Keane, Beckham, Philip Neville, Sylvester, Stam, Gary Neville, Bosnich. Um, I think that team also won a Champions League that year too. Uh, that was that was growing up. That was the team that I watched with so much joy. And, um, and just that year in particular, I remember watching them and just being uh, fascinated by everything. By the way, they had Beckham on that team too. And uh, I remember playing, you know me, I'm a big FIFA guy. I played FIFA 99 and I, always, I used to always run Manchester United. So that's, for me, that's the team. That's the year that I, I recall Premier League with all the time. Yeah, brilliant team. It's hard to actually think when you name like Premiership striking duos, it's very, very hard to look past York and Cole and they're always in that conversation for the you yeah. know, striking partnerships of all time. Yeah, and you know what else I like? They had a lot of uh, British guys playing on that team too. You know, yeah. not, nowadays the top teams don't have a lot of British guys, but that team had a lot of English boys playing, you know? Yeah. So switching gears nice, Spud is your Ooh. second podcast on the podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Aaron Spud, the number one. Obviously a Spurs fan from, um, from my time knowing you. So give me a favorite memory of yours from Spurs in the Premier League. Oh, there's so many to choose from. Um, let me think. <laughs> uh, no, uh, it's pretty much the one that always springs up is Peter Crouch's goal to get into the Champions League for the first time in at dog's age. And 
Uh, getting Van der Vaart in the Premier League window because I panicked. I thought we were going to get Ram Babel. Ended up being Van der Vaart. So, yeah, those two. I'm a glass half empty kind of guy, so I always remember the bad stuff a lot more than the good stuff. <laughs> Very good, especially with Spurs. You've had a lot of heartbreaking moments, sadly, you know, for you anyway. Yeah. But um, yeah. so that's part and parcel of being a football fan, isn't it? The good and the bad. Yeah, mostly, mostly for Spurs fans. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So going to Neil, that's Neilers C uh, on Twitter. Huge Arsenal fan, probably in terms of the clubs supported in the Premier League era, probably a lot more memories to pick from in terms of the good memories from you know Sam and Spud so far. But give me a favourite memory of yours from the Premier League from an Arsenal perspective. I'm actually going to go right back to September 1995. Um, Arsenal were playing Southampton and it was actually the first game that I got to as a young kid at Highbury. It was my first Arsenal game and it it's a very important game, not just for me, but for Arsenal's history in general because that was the first game where Dennis Bergkamp actually scored his first goals for the club. So he'd actually been getting battered and hammered by the British press in the lead up to that game. We played Hartlepool in the League Cup and he hadn't scored. And it had taken him a few weeks to adjust to the British game. And he was getting slaughtered. So naturally, the headline in the paper that week was he can't even score against Hartlepool. And then the next game was against Southampton and he scored two absolute crackers, especially the second one. So that's what always sticks in my head. Um, It was a game changer for him. It was a game changer for Arsenal because they were able to kick on from there. And I always remember that. You always remember your and cherish your first game. And to this day, I can I remember it like it was yesterday. So, yeah, a, a bit of a, probably a bit of a random suggestion, but it's something that always sticks in my head. Yeah, it, that, that's genuinely surprised me, that memory, especially considering you've won the league at White Hart Lane. You went to Old Trafford, beat Manchester to win a league title. Um, I, I genuinely thought you would have went for one of those two. Um, to go with that one did shock me a little bit, but um, obviously, as you said, your your first game always sticks out, and what a player Dennis Bergkamp was. Yeah, as you said, you know, their Arsenal have won a, a fair few trophies in that time, but everyone would sort of say all oh, the Invincible season, or even you know the double of '98 or 2002, but just that specific game has a special place in my heart. You know, it. it, it it changed the dynamics of the club and all when Dennis Bergkamp, you know, got properly started and stuff and he really did fundamentally change the direction of the club. So it it, it just sticks in my head. It's something that's fond memories for me and it feels like yesterday, even though it's well, practically twenty five years ago now. Yeah, and sticking with the Arsenal theme then, with the football being back, obviously we're all excited to see it. It's gonna be a bit weird, a bit different with new fans. Um in the stadiums and things like that. But the first game that I want to really talk about is Man City and Arsenal. So Man City host Arsenal here on Wednesday night. Um, for me, I, I, I'm thinking about this game is more of a... When I've thought about this game, it's to me, it's always been about Mikel Arteta. You know, Arteta's return to Man City, Pep v Arteta, and that seems to me to be the overriding storyline going into this match. Um Sam, as you as you mentioned, you like to kick Arsenal every now and again when you're sort of bored. So I'm going to ask for your opinion on how do you see this one going? Do you even care to predict a score? 
or just give me some thoughts on City Arsenal on Wednesday? I'm actually going to do the reverse, just to go off you said about um, Arteta being back. I'm actually a big Mikel Arteta fan. I think he's very much what Arsenal need. Um, I think already in what albeit it's been a broken up season, Unai Emery is already a distant memory, which I'm sure many Arsenal fans are more than pleased about. Um, he seems to get the club and he seems to have them play in a certain way. Um, obviously, it's in my best interest if Arsenal get a result here for obvious reasons, but you know what? You're never entirely sure. Um, you're saying about a hectic kick Arsenal, but they they're they're hot and cold. This is the exact kind of game I can see them winning, coming off the back of I believe a three-two defeat and a pre-season friend, well, a mid-season friendly, I suppose you call it. Um, what I did read was, did I see Americ Laporte played midweek in in that pre-season game? Um, which, if that's the case, I think City do have a full a full wealth of selection to pick from, but I do fancy Arsenal. I'll go Arsenal 1-0. Interesting. I think even the fact that Laporte, if they have a full squad to pick from, you look at Man City's record with Laporte this season, you know, they haven't lost a match. It really does speak volumes, in my opinion, to their sketchy form, up and down, up and down. When he's played, they've won. Um, it's been a massive, massive loss for them, so if he's back, that's a huge plus. Neil is an Arsenal fan, you're obviously, when you go to City, you're always a bit apprehensive, but you must be going into this one with a bit of hope. Yeah, as Sam said, as Sam said there, you know, Arsenal have been crying out for someone like Mikel Arteta. I mean, you're saying there, the Unai Emery era feels like a distant memory. Like, you're talking now, Wenger's been away for over two years now. That feels like a lifetime ago. So they really did need somebody to come and really understands the club. So Arteta will want to go back to Man City and he'll really want to prove a point. And it is going to be strange having no fans in the ground, but that might help Arsenal because... Man City are used to like, playing in front of nobody, though. <laughs> yeah. They do need to get the monkey off the back because they haven't had a good record against the top six away from home for the last number of years. So there might be it might help us, but yeah, I am quietly confident that Arsenal will get a result against Man City. Um, as Sam said, it's it's in Liverpool's best interest that Arsenal do get a result. Um, but I, I'm I'm confident that under Arteta we're a bit more savvy in defence and. A bit more pragmatic as well, so fingers crossed we can do something. And I do have a feeling we will get a result. I'm not going to say we're going to go up there and win five nil or something like that, but I'm I'm confident we'll get at least a point. Point would be a good result the way to City, um, <clears throat> regardless of what anybody says. But uh, it's going to be an interesting game. It's definitely going to be the game with the most eyes on it on Wednesday night. Um, also kicking us off on Wednesday night is Aston Villa and Sheffield United. Abraham, you've been a huge fan of Sheffield United this year. Um, Chris Wilder's been one of your favourite coaches. You like how they play. You like the high press. You like just the energy that they have as a team. What do you think about Aston Villa hosting Sheffield United? How do you see that one going? Yeah, I'm glad yeah, you picked this game for me because, you know, early on, from a very early stage, I like Sheffield just getting a chance to watch them. I, I love everything they do for the most part. I think the couple of games I was disappointed this year was when they played against uh, Liverpool and City, kind of sitting back and not playing their game. But other than that, 
they've been unlucky getting more than a few ties. And if they just turned those into wins, they would be top of the table right now. Um, I think as it goes for Aston Villa, I'm definitely picking them to win the game against Aston Villa. Um, uh, as long as they play this style of play that we, we're used to watching them. Yeah, and you're, you're a huge Jack Grealish fan. You really yeah. think if Sheffield United really keep Grealish quiet, you think it's yeah. bread and butter, easy win, straightforward? Yeah, I, I don't know about it. That's the thing. With no crowd and, and the layoff, it's so, it's so, it's so unprecedented. It's, it's hard to kind of say how, how dominating the game can be. But if this was... You know, as as it was during the season, I think it would have been a pretty easy one for them. Uh, but I still think they're, they're they're the better team, and they should get a win here. Okay, um, Spud, how do you see that one going? Um, everything that I was thinking was pretty much said. I've been impressed with Sheffield United, uh, but they are ahead of Spurs in the league handily. Um, so I would would have got a game in hand. I would hope that Aston Villa do us a favour and uh, nick, nick the win. Uh, but I can't see it being like a like a slobber knocker back and forward. It's going to be like a 1-0, 1-1. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, but uh, a decent sort of game to open up with. Yeah, I'm sticking with you. Um, Spud, the first game for yours truly is at home to Manchester United. Mourinho mm-hmm. against the former club. Manchester United seemed to like being mm-hmm. on the road away against the bigger sides. and mm-hmm. They like that counter-attacking style. How do you see that one going? Any thoughts on Spurs United? Right. Uh, so we always do pretty decent after a long sort of break. Anytime at the start of a regular season, we start off well. And it's usually the way we finish that... Uh, determines what happens in Christmas period and a couple of other things. We've also been pretty decent against United in recent history, but I still see United uh, taking this. Uh, my heart says, like I always put a, a £5 bet on 3-1 Spurs every match that they play. It's like a superstitious thing. <laughs> um, so my heart says that but my head says 2-0 uh, United and um, Mourinho will blame uh, Larice. That's my prediction. <laughs> there's, there's a prediction for it. So, so stick, it, stick it with this sort of topic. Mourinho yeah. always seems to have the, you know, the famous the third season syndrome or whatever, but it seems, <laughs> in my opinion, looking in from the outside and as a Spurs fan, you might disagree, but that seems to be expedited with this tenure at Spurs so far um, that I seem to feel like he's been at Spurs forever and with the excuses coming already it starts to feel like it's already beginning to go that direction but was, the, good, the good thing yeah. with Spurs, sorry before before you come back at me is this break may have actually worked in your favour in the context of all of a sudden Harry Kane's back you have Son you have Steven Bergvine. All three of those were probably going to miss the majority of your games before this break. Yeah, uh, it's done us a favour in that regard. Um, we, we did lose a pre-season restart match to Norwich, but I was looking at how we were wow. playing. And it was like four periods of half an hour just to get everybody's minutes up and stuff like that. So I'm not taking that too seriously. Um the big 
thing that I'm going to be going in looking at because he's already been criticised is how in Dombele place because he's been complaining about fitness pretty much since he got there. He's getting his 60, 70 minutes. If he's not been on the treadmill or the bike or the cross trainer for the last three months, uh, some questions seriously need to be asked. But like you said, uh, I'm hoping the second season Mourinho sort of theory comes into play and next season um, will win everything. That's <laughs> <laughs> a big ask, but I'm sure Mourinho would be rubbing his hands Yeah, he's the guy to do it. He's the guy to do it. What a guy. Um, so stick, stick up with this this match, Nain Campbell. This, will, this is obviously a match that is a big interest to you Arsenal fans as both teams are pushing for fourth. Spurs want fourth, United want fourth, Arsenal see themselves in that battle. What result do you want, and how do you think this match will go? From an Arsenal perspective, I want the draw. Spurs will have a point to prove, but United were on a rich vein of form before this pandemic. Spurs could potentially benefit from having the break because it gives Mourinho a chance to work with his squad because it was quite obvious that his ideas hadn't been fully implemented because he seemed to have went backwards defending recently. So I want the draw for Arsenal's perspective, but I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say, no, I'm, I'm going to say United will, United will win there. Um, they'll want to prove a point against Mourinho because there's been a couple of things said here and there since he's left United. So I'm going to say United to Pep, Pep Spurs. Uh, Mourinho will probably then have a meltdown anytime soon. Um, yeah, uh, to be honest, Mourinho's boring now. He's bored of his meltdowns, but yeah, I, I could see that happening. A lot of Spurs fans aren't particularly happy have Mourinho, and they felt Potts was a bit hard done by. But yeah, I, I think United. I think United will beat them. United run a good run of form, and they've got Rashford back now, I believe, and Pogba. But whether Pogba plays or not, and whether. You wouldn't know which Pogba will even show up, to be honest, but I'd fancy United to win that, albeit I want the draw. Oh, Deli Alley's out as well. Deli Alley's out for being a a moron, so that's another factor. (laughs) Yeah, one thing I think as well, if Spurs lose, I could see many Spurs fans turning on them because they've been been promised sort of like a goal. Their first loss in three months. What's that? <laughs> well, I, what was that? I didn't hear what you said there. It's their first loss in three months, if that's the case. Yeah. Uh, but they've sort of been promised the golden age on the Mourinho. And I'm not really sure, you know, especially with this whole pandemic and the financial implications of it. You know, Mourinho goes in and he's always spent a lot of money where he's went. Whereas Daniel, Daniel Levi, you know, has always <laughs> run a tight ship. So I, I just can't see it working out in the long run, and I think that's I think some Spurs fans could get fed up with it, but you wouldn't know. It's 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 hard to tell with these games because teams have had such a long break. It's sort of like a reset, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, one thing as you said there, you said your Spurs fans might you know get frustrated with Mourinho. The only thing with that is at least they won't be in the the building, you know. So it's not as if they can turn on the team during the match. You know, so even if they are getting frustrated or things aren't going the way, there's not going to be that bit of like booing or toxic atmosphere, which is which is a big big difference really. Um, whenever you're playing at home, if you do have a fan base, it's likely to turn. Although I I I agree that they may turn, 
but I don't think anywhere close to yet. I don't think that will happen until at least next season if if money is spent and things turn sideways. I think they're prepared to back him um, and prepared to back the team anyway for now. I think the, the danger of Mourinho's career tra- trajectory has been that as he's moved from club to club, the level of success he's had at each club has diminished, but he seems to be leaving a larger mess every time he leaves somewhere. <laughs> and I thought that, you know, if you, sorry to rub salt in the wooden spot, but I mean, Tottenham in the European Cup final, I think that's the best shape Tottenham have been in for the best part of a decade. And Daniel Levi, if you will, completely dismantled <laughs> them by getting rid of Pochettino. So I don't know. I think I can't see it working out well. Well, I guess we'll have to we'll find out. But Sam, staying with you, Norwich, Southampton. How do you think that one's going? You know, Norwich seemed to really prefer to attack rather than defend. And Southampton, obviously, with Danny Ings up front, could be an interesting goal-scoring game, in my opinion. Probably like a 2-2 in my head. But how do you see that one going? Depends on what you read into these. I keep saying pre-season, but that's, you know what I mean. It's mid-season, three-quarter season friendlies. Um as, as Spud was saying, you know, it's, you, do you read into a Norwich win against Tottenham saying they're looking good? You know, by the sounds of it, they're playing ice hockey, playing a quarter each or something. You know, there's no real way to look at it. Um, I would agree with you in regards goals. Um, I think Neil said about which Pogba turns up. You're absolutely the same with Timo Pukki as well. He's, he's He either doesn't play or he turns up and scores a hat-trick. Um, Danny Ings, I think in regards to him... <laughs> He was very unlucky in regards to the Euros. Um, obviously, England fans weren't happy to see Kane being injured, but he put, him, put himself in the right frame just at the right time, as well as England's main, main scorer being injured. So he had a point to prove, but I think he'll try and sort of continue the form he had. But I, I would I say that's a score draw, definitely. You're probably looking at a 2-2 or a 3-2 win. That seems like the more interesting second game on Super Sunday. <laughs> yeah, because you can see, you know, United played on the counter attack and standard Mourinho boring Spurs. So, um, you that, really that, that one that one stinks of nil nil while you're slightly hungover waiting on your Sunday dinner. <laughs> yeah, Norris like happened to me just says goals and maybe a bit of craziness and, and like ridiculous defending to be honest, and uh, maybe a bit of comical defending here and there, but. Abraham, how do you see that one going? Do you see a load of goals in that match, or do you think both teams cancel each other out, or what do you think for Norwich Southampton? Okay, um, <laughs> Norwich is hosting the game for this one. Is that correct? Yeah, Norwich at home. Okay, I think if they had fans, I would I would take them to win this game. It's it's going to be a toss up, honestly, between the two teams here. So um, uh, right now, I would say probably more of a Southampton might take this one, but uh, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, and sticking with you then, um, for yeah. Bright- Brighton host Arsenal. Um, yeah. pro- probably, um, I'll speak to Neil in a second, but Arsenal have quite a, quite a tough lot of fixtures still to play in the context of uh, you've got Man City, they've got Liverpool, they have Leicester, they have Wolves, and there's probably someone else I've forgotten in there. Um, but they, they, they travel to Brighton, here down near the bottom of the table. Um, how do you see that one going, Abby? Uh, you know, just watching from the distance, watching the Arsenal games, I find that uh, prior to the coaching change, they struggled against the bottom teams. Uh, they just managed to find a way to either tie or maybe even lose some of these games. But now I think 
they should be able to pull this one out against Brighton. I'm not. I've watched quite a few Brighton games this season, as you know. Jahan Bach plays on that team, even though barely. Um, and uh, I think Brighton just uh, isn't good enough at this point to beat Arsenal. So I'll take Arsenal over Brighton on that one. Yeah, and Neil, your thoughts on going to Brighton for, for me and your remaining fixtures, that really is a must win for Arsenal. That there's a lot of pressure on you in that game, in my opinion. Yeah, you're saying there about we have other difficult games. We still have to play Spurs away as well. And yeah, Brighton away is always a tough game for us. We lost there a couple of seasons ago. That was a pretty bad day at the office. And it is must win. All games are must win at the minute, to be honest with you. You know, if you're shooting for that Champions League place, because again, with the Man City thing and the, the appeal, you know, it's all up in the air whether fourth will get it or whether fifth will get it. So you need to be winning all your games. I, I will be confident Arsenal will go there and win on uh, on Saturday. Um, Brighton are obviously still scrapping, but they are, are they safe? I know they're obviously not mathematically safe, but they're sort of saws, you know, just being just a wee bit outside. So they'll they'll you know have their tails up. They'll want to get a couple of wins in the bag and um, to secure safety. But I, I'd be confident Arsenal will go there and win. Yeah. Okay, um, Spud, we're going to go to Watford at home to Leicester. Nigel Ostrich Pearson nice. hosting the former club Leicester with a point to prove. What do you think? Watford seemed to be a bit up and down since he's came in. There was that big spike in form as soon as he joined and then sort of, you know, it faded out and then a few decent wins here or there. The only team, obviously, in the Premier League to beat Liverpool and not just beat Liverpool, they battered Liverpool. Um, and Leicester under Brendan Rodgers have been outstanding this season, but really since, you know, really the Christmas period have been a bit up and down. So what do you think, Watford, Leicester? I uh, I hate Watford. So <laughs> <laughs> just coming in strong with that. I'm not a massive fan of Watford. I'm looking at the table as we speak, and uh, with Neil saying, I think they're just outside the relegation sort of running. Brighton are only two points ahead of it. I hope Brighton win. And I hope Watford lose because I like Brighton. I hate Watford. But uh, like you said, I do have a lot of admiration for Leicester. I do think Brendan Rodgers isn't... Has always been... What am I trying to say? He's always punching above his weight. Uh, Sometimes successfully, sometimes not. Or he just goes to Scotland and breezes it for a couple of years. But um, I've enjoyed watching Leicester a lot more than Watford over the past couple of years. And I picture them 3-0. There you go. 3-0 Leicester. Sure. It's a big shout, Sam. Brendan Rodgers, former Liverpool manager. As you said, you know, your probably your favourite Liverpool moment so far because you're probably you're about to win a league title. Um, was Brendan Rodgers Liverpool hammering Arsenal? Um, with Brendan Rodgers at Leicester, how do you, what do you think of the work he's done, and how do you see this match playing out? Um, just to touch on what Spud said, uh, Brendan Rodgers, I think he's a, I think he's a good manager who in England has found the right club. Um, I think you know Leicester were they were in and about the top three, but it's not until they played at the the higher teams they realised just how far that sort of chasm and ability is. Um, I do like Brendan Rodgers. I would agree with Spot again. I'm not a massive Watford fan. Um, also, there's questions about is Troy Deeney going to play? He's been actively avoiding training. Um, he's 
their only threat really or worth talking about. So do they have much of a chance going there without him or even with him? I just see another comfortable Leicester win. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for for me as well, Troy Deeney is so, so vitally important to how Watford play. He doesn't score enough in my opinion, but just his presence on the pitch is huge for Watford. Um, he did uh, He did play three days ago in a pre-season yeah. friendly, so it's there's talks that he will be back because that was one of the questions I was thinking going into it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, if Troy Deeney's there, it takes a, a, a five out of ten team up to like a, a seven and a half team, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's just just vitally, vitally important. You see, um, it's important to them, but I still think a bad Leicester would be the good Watford. Yeah, 100%. Deeney will play 100%. Yeah. Deeney will definitely play. Yeah, I think so West Ham Wolves, Nate. West Ham at home, the Wolves. Um, West Ham, another sort of, in my opinion, a yo-yo team. Um, one season they're brilliant, the next season they're awful. You know, I, they're just, they just exist in the Premier League without really doing anything um, at home to... A Wolves team who I really, really like. How do you see that one? Uh, Posse, it sounds to me like you're clearly dissing the the legendary West Ham way, which is a complete and utter myth. Um, I would say, again, that's a hard one to call. West Ham are fighting for their lives. Wolves are pushing to get the Champions League positions. It's, it's a really hard one. Again, you're talking about fans turning on the team. If if there had been fans in the ground and West Ham were to lose that game, the West Ham fan base at the minute is a bit of a powder keg because of the you know the club's owners and stuff. I'm going to say score draw in that game. Um, Wolves had a bit of momentum again when, before the pandemic hit, but as I said, it's a bit of a reset. West Ham scrapping for their lives, score draw. Both both, both have really clear objectives here and I'm going to say they're going to cancel each other out. Score draw. Speaking of the West Ham fans, I honestly think it might be better for West Ham that there's no fans in because it seems to be as soon as West Ham take a kick off, you know, the fans are on their back um, which is which is crazy in, in my opinion but um, Abraham, you've seen a lot of Wolves this season. You're a huge fan of um, Adama Traore, huge fan of Jimenez. What do you think of West Ham Wolves? Yeah, I think it's um, pretty clear on this one. I don't see West Ham taking this one any any way. Uh, Wolves should have an easy one on for for this game. Yeah, I mean when you look at when you look at Wolves' squad, it's it's one of those squads too. You think their squad's very good, but if you go to improve it, who do you take out? Because they've all just been consistently good. And there's been a lot of transfer talk about Adama Traoré specifically with links with Liverpool and stuff like that. And that is the type of thing, you know, can get into a player's head and cause maybe a dip in form or it could do the reverse. It could make him push on to make sure he gets that move. Um, with West with West Ham, you know, in the position that they're in, I think it's it's a massive game for West Ham. I think all their home games are massive. And controversially, I do believe that having no fans at home will help West Ham. Sorry, Abram, you're saying there that it should be an easy game for us. You see, I disagree with that because coming up to the end of the season like you know we're sort of in the final stretch here and it's always harder to play a team that is fighting for their lives than it is for like a team that's not going to get Europe or not going to get relegated so I actually think this will be a really hard game for us specifically because West Ham are fighting for their lives and same applies for Leicester against Watford Watford are fighting for their lives 
So, you know, if you were going into a game, say in the last game of the season, would you rather play a team that's mid-table and already, you know, is practically already on the beach, or would you rather play a team that was, in essence, a weaker team but is fighting for their lives? It's a no-brainer. You'd rather play a middle of the middle of the road team, I think. Just, yeah, that's, uh, that's fair. But I also think... the purge. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, um, go ahead. Oh. No, that that's fair. I just think Wolves have a lot to play for as well. Um, you know, this could be their first time they couldn't slot into the Champions League, uh, and and so I think they have a lot to play for as well. So I just think they're just a much better team, and and um, uh, with no fans there, I think they should be able to take this one. But uh, fair comments. Yeah, no, I, no, I agree with you. Wolves are a very, very good side, but I, I don't think it'll be a given. I don't think any game against a team that's been that's been down in the bottom half and stuff. I, I don't think it's a given at all. Um, I, I think all games are going to be very, very tight here over the next few weeks. I think it's the idea as well of you know the the flary, aesthetically pleasing Portuguese wolves going to London to get kicked up the arse by Mark Noble for 90 minutes. There's definitely... Just West Ham fighting just seems dangerous. I would not want to play them. I think yeah. I want to play West Ham the first 10 games of the season and that's it. They just they just have grafters. You know, teams that will wear you down. Or, sorry, players that will wear you down. They won't, you know, starting 11 of James Milner's but in their 20s. Dangerous fixture. Yeah, when I, when I look at West Ham Wolves, I really see it, an effort versus quality. You know, Massively, yeah, and, and that's really the, the story of that game. <laughs> well, but, here I don't hear you say that, but I don't think a lot of West Ham players have been putting in a lot of effort this season. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems to be every, every other season. You know, every one season they're fighting relegation, and the next season they're you know they're trying to get in the top ten, and the next season they all take that season off again and go back near the bottom. Seems to be a recurring theme with West Ham. A bit like Eden Hazard's form as well. Every other season he takes a season off, and hey, that's neither here nor there. Yeah, um, um, Spud, going with you now because of your football manager ties. Bournemouth hosts Crystal Palace. Unfortunately, this is not Bournemouth and football manager managed by Aaron Montgomery. This is this is Bournemouth here <laughs> at the bottom of the table on the ready high, um, at home the the rock solid Roy Hodgson Crystal Palace boring team of the year, but effective. How do you see that one going? Right, I sort of pride myself having a comment on pretty much everything. I've got an opinion on everything, but I think you found something that I could not care <laughs> less about. I think this is like, do you know, like three weeks into the quarantine, people were sharing pictures saying I would give anything to just watch Bournemouth versus Crystal Palace. The, no. <laughs> <laughs> if you could lay out all the fixtures in front of me, this would be my last choice. I don't like Crystal Palace. I hope Bournemouth win just because it got a weird soft spot for them and it would mean that Watford dropped down and West Ham. Yeah. Um, Crystal Palace are kind of like through together. They don't seem like a complete team. It's like a lot of players that have sort of been told to train together and an old man to shout from the sidelines for like telling them what to do. It's like um, the Premier League version of a Sunday league team really, isn't it? You know, the old yeah, man screaming on the sideline and then just telling them, you know, Stick a foot in, get a tackle in. Exactly. It's like, um, oh, do you not have a team to play for? Join us. We need another another fella, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I'm not a Crystal Palace fan. I hope Bournemouth take it. I think Bournemouth might nick it because, as Neil was saying, uh, when you're fighting for your life, I'm hoping that they will actually put up a fight. So, 
yeah, I fancy Bournemouth for it, but it's not going to be a a stormer. It's going to be like a 1-0, 2-1, something regular. Hasn't Rand Fraser already said that he's not going to play for Bournemouth? No, Basically, he said that he's not signing on... He's not signing on a, a like, you know, the way Lalana signed on a short-term sort like of... A top-up contract, almost? Yeah, top-up. It's a pay-as-you-go contract <laughs> kind of thing. And, uh, Lalana absolutely snatched it out of, uh, out of their hands, but Fraser's kind of said... He's a big Spurs sort of conquest, so I'm hoping that goes that way because I do admire him as a player. But we'll see what happens. But I don't know if he's playing in this or not. Yeah, and then we go to maybe soon to be the richest club in the world, Newcastle, Sam, hosting Sheffield United. It's one of those games that you don't see too much quality from the home side and you really think that Sheffield United, you know, going there should be able to win that one. But, you know... Steve Bruce, Newcastle fan, Newcastle boy, is really, you know, working his socks off to try and get some results for Newcastle, and I think he's actually done okay. Um, yeah, I think Steve Bruce at Newcastle is very much Mark Hughes at City under tax and Sinawatra. It was kind of, we'll see what if we can get away here, and then if something really big happens, we'll move on that. Um, he seems to be like a, a purgatory sort of manager. They'll go, geez, do you remember six months ago we had Steve Bruce and now we've got Pochettino on £4 billion a week? <laughs> um, so that certainly seems to have going. We spoke earlier about clubs that would either benefit or struggle with no fans on the ground. I think it takes Newcastle maybe the best part of nine minutes to turn on their players. So an empty St. James's Park is, is probably not a bad thing. Um I'm not too sure. I'm, I've, admittedly, I've not watched an absolute ton of Sheffield United this year. Um, but I don't know. It could be... I, I say the idea maybe of, of an inevitable injection of funds coming Newcastle's way might perk everybody up a bit. Um, but again, who knows? That's, that, for me, is probably the last game on match of the day that night. <laughs> it, yeah, it really is. Because if Sheffield United win, it's going to be maybe a 1-0 or something. Um, with an overlapping fullback in the last five minutes. But That's it. Um, stick, stick it with Sheffield United away at Newcastle, Abraham. As, you, as we've talked about, you're a huge fan of Sheffield United. Do you see them going to Newcastle and taking three points? Or do you think they'd settle for a point? Or what's your thoughts? I don't think at any point this year I selected Sheffield United to lose any game. Even against uh, Liverpool and, and City, I think I was always hopeful that they could get a result. I think they did on the on the return games in, in a couple of those games. Uh, in this one, again, I'll select them to win the game, um, uh, but uh, it'll be a tough one for sure. Yeah, yeah, it will. I, I, think, I personally think a Sheffield United win, 1-0 late on, winner, something like that. Um, mm. Aston Villa at home to Chelsea. Aston Villa fighting for their lives. Chelsea, again, are one of those teams that blow hot and cold. Um, it looks like the, the youth movement of Chelsea is over. You know, transfer windows open, 50 million on Werner, 35 on DH. Who else are looking at the talk of Kai Havertz? So, Neil, it looks like, you know, the youth team promotion into the first team is probably going to end after a year. Um, how do you see this one going? Do you see Chelsea going and doing something? Or do you see Chelsea going and falling apart under a lot of pressure from a villain needing a result? I've said a a bit already about teams scrapping, you know, makes it a lot more difficult. But to be honest with you, I just can't see past the Chelsea win. 
I, I don't know why. I just Villa are a funny old team, you know. One week they can put in a really, really good performance, and then the next week they're absolutely diabolical. There doesn't seem to be an in between with them. So it was the last game before um, the break. They did not get beat 4 0 by Leicester. They get absolutely trounced. So I just can't see past the Chelsea win. But again, you just wouldn't know. But I think Villa will have John McGinn back as well. So that makes yeah, a massive huge. difference for them. Huge difference. Um, but I just can't see past a Chelsea win. I'll, I'm confident that they would win that. 2 0 Chelsea. I'm quite interested to see how Chelsea players perform, specifically those younger players, you know, the likes of um, Atami Abraham and Mason Mount. Um, specifically with Chelsea linked with Timo Werner, with Kai Havertz, with Ziyech coming in. Is that inevitably Chelsea saying, okay, lads, you are okay, but we need something more? And will that either break their confidence or will that make them push on? That's what I'm quite interested to see um, and how this Chelsea team react to Chelsea well, already pushing for more signings. Well, if, if you're a footballer, a professional footballer, surely you want to play with better players and it would help you lift your own game. So if I was one of those young players, I'd be going, right, we've got we've got money, you know, the transfer ban's been uplifted, um, you know, we're, we're going to sign Werner, we've been linked with Chilwell, et cetera, et cetera. You'd be thinking here, you know, my place is potentially up for grabs here, so I'm going to lift it. Um, well, that's the way I would look at it. Um, but they do have some really good players coming through. You know, I think Lampard... Obviously, you'd want a bit of star power, you know, in key positions. But I do think he'll stay true to his values where he will keep giving the young players, a, 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 you know, a, a good shot, a good stab at being in the side. And then on top of that, if you have a sprinkling, you know, of star power in certain places, certain positions, key positions across the team, you know, it's it'll do your team the world of good. So I think Chelsea will be all right in the long run here, whether it be with, young players coming through, which I think Lampard will stick to. Um, and then plus as well, it looks like they're going to be heavy-handed in the transfer market here too. Yeah, it's, it's almost like the transfer ban last summer was a little blessing in disguise because all of a sudden with the pandemic hitting a lot of clubs are worried about finances, where Chelsea didn't spend anything really. You know, it's almost like well, they could go into this transfer market and throw money, albeit, you know, asterisk star, they didn't spend any money in the transfer market last year, but... Yeah, well, that's the thing as well. You know, I was reading that with the Maratta deal, you know, this summer, or sorry, from last summer, but this summer here, uh, the deal for Maratta, they get a, a hefty payment for that, and they also get a hefty payment for the Eden Hazard deal. So they will have that as well to add on top of the money that they've already saved by not being able to buy players in the last couple of windows. So... You know, I think one of the sorry, sorry to interrupt. I think one of the good things about um, a transfer ban is if there's any team in, I suppose, Europe who a transfer ban would impact the least, it probably would be Chelsea. You know, granted they did have a few good young players coming through, but you just get the impression that once that ban was given, you know, Abramovich stood on a hill and blew into a horn, and every loanee around Europe from Chelsea was recalled. <laughs> you know. I think they say that in New York, you're never more than three feet from a rat, but in Europe, you're never more than six feet from a Chelsea loanee. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, if you're bringing in... I mean, don't get me wrong, you're talking about young players. Mason Mount was a gamble. But, I mean, Tommy Abraham's a good footballer. You know, they weren't, they weren't bringing in Delia from the kitchen to play fullback. They have good footballers out on loan. 
Yeah. So, I mean, if if you're looking at other, I mean, you're talking about, let, let's look at Leicester for argument's sake, a solid 11. If they were hit with a transfer ban for a year and they got hit with an injury, they would suffer. But Chelsea, not so much. But I do agree with you. I think, I agree with you and agree with Neil. I do think Chelsea, though, we'll sort of mix it up. We'll keep the English boys in, but we'll, we'll certainly spend a bit of money. Spurs had a self-imposed transfer ban for about <laughs> two seasons there, so... It doesn't help. It just had to get 175 million loan, so it really doesn't help, lads. Just spend. <laughs> and then, now moving on to possibly the biggest game of the weekend, specifically in a Liverpool perspective. Sam, you go to Everton for the Merseyside derby, and as it always happens, Everton's got a chance. Everton are going to beat Liverpool, but they inevitably, you know, fall flat in their face. So, Sam, how do you, how do you see this one? Going the same way. Uh, I'd say both good as in parks. Difficult to play in, but no, I I can't see. I I think the first ten minutes, Everton will get stuck in. There'll be a few tasty tackles, and then the audio man will play whistles and boos through the the speakers for an atmosphere. Um, before Liverpool go on and score eleven, <laughs> I. <laughs> I, I do you know what? I mean, people say I'm very opinionated around certain teams. See, as long as Jordan Pickford's a footballer for Everton, I would play Everton every day of the week. T-Rex arms. He's an absolute pudding, as far as I'm concerned. And <laughs> I mean, at, at what point? I mean, I mean, talk. Let's talk. Like Neil Spud, you know, how would you feel if you played if your teams played each other and one one of you decided, do you know what? We figure first to fry. We'll play the under twenty ones and see how they get on, and still come out with a win. Yeah, that was pretty embarrassing whenever I lost that <laughs> But I mean I look I don't know. It's it's there there are people get excited about derbies. You know, the like London clubs play a derby every week and nobody seems to blink you know, blink their eyelids over it. It's a geographical derby, it's always gonna be a big game. It is bragging rights. My only regret is if Arsenal do beat City, Liverpool will lift the title in front of an empty Goodison and I wish it was packed for that to happen. <laughs> Because I do think that club needs a visual representation of the, the chasm in quality. People say Stanley Park and Liverpool are, uh, are across Stanley Park's only a mile. It's about £500 million of a gap and maybe 25 players of a gap. <laughs> yeah, to you be look fair, at... I, sorry, to be fair, uh, to Goodison Park, I, I have been there a few times for the games. I actually really like it. It's a pretty proper old school ground, but... I think the Liverpool game this weekend, the Man City Arsenal match on Wednesday night will have a massive bearing on Liverpool Everton on Sunday. But if beat Arsenal, then it's hard to describe what I'm saying. If Arsenal were to beat Man City, say, I think Liverpool will go out and beat Everton. Whereas if Arsenal lose to Man City, I think Liverpool have enough time to win the league. You know, they might necessarily, you know, go, right, we can win it here this Sunday. But if Arsenal were to get the result, I think Liverpool will beat Everton. It helps them massively because then they can win it at Everton. Whereas if it's the other way around, then they obviously can't. So um, if, if Arsenal get a result, Liverpool will win the league on Sunday. And I'm I'm convinced of the beat Everton. But if they don't, if Arsenal don't get the result up there, I, I could see Everton getting the draw because, as you say, Sam, they will be really up for it and will not want Liverpool to win the league in their backyard. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, I think a good thing, I know I've sort of thrown the, the name down there, but like there are a few, few Everton players that I do actually rate. I think Talbot Lewin, the smasher, I think he's only going to get better. I never actually I realized how, how good he was in the air. And I do rate Richarlison, but I don't know. I, don't. There's, I think the biggest threat of Everton is probably Ancelotti. Oh well, my God, I know, they're saying, there. Yeah, they're saying that Ancelotti, is, if he's smart and he like really buys into the whole culture on Merseyside, that he has the chance there to really put a marker Stay down it. with Everton because they are, in a sense, sort of, if you're looking back to the 80s, they are, Everton are a big club. In a sense, they are a sleeping giant. Um, yeah. And then I'm sure Liverpool fans, like I know obviously you don't want your rival to do well. I get that, but... You know, in the 80s, especially the mid-80s, you know, the top two teams, the top two sides were Liverpool and Everton fighting for leagues, fighting for cups. And if you have a Mersey side where the two teams are going, you know, full hammer and tong at each other and stuff, I'm sure it would make, it would be pretty interesting. So I, The good thing about it as well is, I think regardless, obviously it's painfully cliche, but, you know, and obviously when you've had a three-month break, but regardless of form, it's always a cracking game of football. It's always really high tempo. Granted, it's it's buoyed on from the fans who are obviously not going to be there but um, it'll be interesting to see it's the first sort of real derby we get to see in a non sort of you know tense high high pitch atmosphere so but I still can't see anything other than Liverpool win yeah for me I'm looking at the fixtures for this game week including the double fixtures and it sounds a bit silly saying this but that was the fixture that stuck out to me as the, the very obvious one for the result and it, it is a bit crazy saying that, you know, Liverpool go to Everton. How do you see it going? You're like, Liverpool 3-0. You know, that's that's how I see that one going. I don't see Everton really causing any particular threat to Liverpool. Maybe a couple of long balls to Calvert-Lewin or whatever, but I think Van Dijk will just, you know, eat them up all day. I think Everton's midfield is too slow, too sloppy, it's not good enough. And I just see a, a Henderson running over the top of them. Just the, if Arsenal if Arsenal get the result against Man City, there is the incentive there and then for Liverpool to go. We can win this in our local rivals' backyard. There's no need for incentive when you're playing your derby. Agree. Is uh, Liverpool's next game after Everton? Is that City? Is that away at City? I think they play. There's a Palace at one point in between, is but um, they do. Okay. Yeah, I think the idea, for obvious reasons, is to hopefully have the league done by the time you play City. But yeah. the other side of the coin is that there, there is nothing more Liverpool Football Club than them them imploding here and City winning the league. <laughs> I don't see that happening. There's too big a gap for me, but it would make and make the last couple of games a lot more entertaining. That's you know for sure. But last game of the weekend, then Abraham Man City Burnley. Do you give Ginger Mourinho Sean Dyche any chance? of going to Man City and picking up a result? Nope. Not at all. Um, uh, I, 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 I do want to say for all, for all these games that we're talking about, I think the, the teams that really um, uh, don't have the quality and looking to do their hard work, the fans not being there for their home games might be a huge, huge deal. I'm used to watching a lot of, a lot of games uh, from back home where, where the suspension for clubs comes through not having fans to watch the games. And it's a, it's a big game changer, you know. It, be- it com- becomes quality versus hard work. And 
And uh, when you look at that, at some point, the quality with no fans there is going to take over. So I'm taking a lot of the quality in this first week just to see how it goes. But I think I'm taking all the qualities for this first weekend to see uh, to see the results. Um, uh, and, I, and specifically for Man City and Burnley, I'm going to say uh, there's no chance Man City's got this all the way. Yeah. And Spud, what do you think for Man City, Burnley? Is this, is this another Crystal Palace Bournemouth where you think the results are that obvious you don't care or... No, no, no. I actually, I like uh, Sean Dyche. I like uh, Burnley. I like their hard-working sort of mentality, but they're not getting a the result there. If they do, I'd be severely like shocked. Um, yeah, it's it's just going to be like run of the mill, 3-0. It'll be 1-0 at halftime, and the pundits will be like, oh, could Burnley snatch this? And at the end, it'll just be clinical. It's it's like uh, like was said, like the fans being there do affect the smaller teams. It's just facts. Um, there's more likelihood of like if you get a goal as a Burnley player. Oh my goodness, the crowds behind me. There's thirty thousand people chanting my team's name because nobody knows who I am. But um, <laughs> you know they're kind of they're kind of getting into it. I think that's a massive factor, and it will be an asterisk sort of on everybody's performance. Uh, but yeah, 100% Man City just trudging on. Okay. So, Neil, Sam, any closing words for this particular game week? Any particular player that you think is going to have a brilliant game week? Anyone that's going to stand out? Or any particular game that you think is a must-watch? I think all eyes will definitely be on Man City Arsenal on the Wednesday night because... Well, it is a big game straight away, but on the first night back, you're getting such a big game. Um, obviously, Liverpool-Everton, standout fixture. They could win the league that weekend. I mean, you know, I'm actually looking forward to seeing Kieran Tierney because he's back fit now and he was doing well before he got that unfortunate injury. So I'm, I'm interested to see what way the dynamic will work, you know, between him and Saka. Um, Arteta seems to rate both highly. So it'll be good to see Tierney hopefully get a few games under his belt here and kick on from there. Yeah, Sam, any thoughts, closing words that being a Liverpool fan? You see, obviously you would love to have this league wrapped up and wrap it up this weekend away at Everton. Be an ultimate sort of, you know, ultimate sort of point in Liverpool's history. Yeah, and I think, you know, everyone's saying, you know, it's as inevitable as it may seem, it's one of those things we are saying, right, you know, if if, if you get a couple of bad results on the bounce, um, the, the machine that City are, they're just going to keep hammering on. It may put Shepherd's pen a few fans' knickers, but no, no, um, we'll, get, we'll be okay. I think away to away to Everton. It's just when the, the, the more difficult games start to come around, you'd like to have it signed, seen, and delivered because that's when you're going to see the likes of Shakiri on the pitch, Lalana on the pitch uh, before they they inevitably go out on loan to Norwich. <laughs> um, Abraham, closing thoughts. Give me one player that you're excited to see with the restart. Um, uh, well, I, I, you know, I think uh, for me, uh, this break probably helped uh, for me Leicester City the most. As you know, we both watched Leicester week, week in, week out, and they were kind of getting exhausted, tired, suspensions, injuries kind of coming through for them uh, at the end there. So I think this break is going to be interesting um i'm looking to see wardy wardy can get back in and then start scoring um uh, goals again for leicester and keep him up uh, up in the table yeah no i definitely think the break would would have definitely helped leicester 
um, specifically, as you say, the injuries and suspensions. And as Sam mentioned earlier, that small squad, you know, the slightest injury, and all of a sudden the quality of the team is, is so much lower just with yeah. one player coming in from the bench or whatever due to an injury or a suspension. Yeah. Um, Spud, your closing thoughts on the week. What's your must-see fixture of the weekend? Uh, like's been said, must-see for me is obviously the Spurs game, but uh, the first, the Arsenal-Man City match is going to be the big one, and I predict that the league is going to be wrapped up for Liverpool by the end of this week's fixtures, however way the week works. Um, somebody to wa- watch out for that has been sort of that I think might shine is Stephen Bergwijn for ourselves and Aurier will get sent off <laughs> the brilliant prediction Aurier will get sent there off there we go yeah well, on that red card and sending off, we'll keep with that theme and we'll send off this podcast to be done and dusted. So thank you very much, gentlemen, for giving me part of your morning slash afternoon, depending on what part of the, the planet that you live on. Thank you for listening to the podcast with me, your host, Darren. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the podcast. Thanks for your time. Stay safe and tune in next time.